0: Welcome to Presence Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit presenceoc.org. If we didn't do anything but worship like we worshiped this morning and we uh, encountered God the way we encountered God, we had a pretty good morning, didn't we? But I think God has a little bit more for us today. This is my lovely wife, Eileen. Stand up, honey. <laughs> Eileen saved my life, pretty much literally. <laughs> the love of a, of a good husband or wife does a lot to heal us, doesn't it? And um, if some of you are still looking for that person, let's pray into that right now. Lord, bring mates alongside of some awesome people who who would really appreciate somebody who believed in Jesus (laughs) to come alongside them and to live with them. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Wow. Wow. I feel like God is really doing something in the room, and I just want what we're doing now to be a a continuation of that. You know, um, there's no particularly uh, (laughs) better time than another to let the Holy Spirit minister to you. So if you're there right now, and maybe whatever is going on in your body that needs healing wasn't called out, that's okay. You can still be healed in Jesus' name. If there's a wound in your heart that uh, you really need the Holy Spirit to show you about and to educate you about and to minister the love of God on a deep level, I just release that to you right now in Jesus' name. We sang some wonderful songs this morning he said, We sing a song that said he is our Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. He's not God out there. We're trying to figure out how to close the gap or reduce the distance or bring into today what's at a future date. He's the God of now. He's the God of nearness. He is God with you. And I just re- release faith for that in the room that today's your day whatever that is it's a day of healing it's a day of restoration it's a day of reconciliation it's a day of love because that's the only agenda he has for you is love and we sing about behold the name above all names there's something in that isn't there there's a lot of things that try to get up on our list you know you <laughs> know Stuff in the past, the accuser comes along, reminds us of all the wrong things, but there's a name that's above every name that's calling out to you, and that is the name above all names, that would be Jesus. Jesus, we celebrate at this time of year, he came as a a baby. He came as a baby so that he could fully identify with what it means to be a human. You know, Jesus always intended to be a human. From the moment he created us, he knew that one day he was going to inhabit a human body. So, being a human is a good thing. Wow. You know, it's good to be human. We've associated it with everything we do wrong but God associates being human with being like God because we were made in his image. You see that sin stuff and the things that we do that hurt us? That's not what we were made to do. That's not who we are. Just as when the prodigal returned, the father immediately Runs to him uh, and he reminds him of who he really is the robe, the ring, the sandal. You really belong in my house. Many of us have forgotten the house that we really belong to. And Jesus came to remind us of that, He came to tell us about the Father. So this morning, for a little while, we become what we behold. So we're going to behold Jesus. What do we mean by behold? We're not talking about the transfer of information here. We're talking about looking at something. You see, when we look at Jesus, we see ourselves fully human. We see ourselves fully anointed in the Holy Spirit. We see ourselves with no distance between us and the Father we see who we are. Jesus came to do a lot of things, and we focus many times on the cross, which we should, because there we behold the limitless love of God on display. Nothing held back. But he also came to show us his Father and to show us what it means to be a human in relationship with that Father. You see, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existed in love before anything was created. Love is their primary nature. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit celebrate one another. The Spirit lives to facilitate relationship between the Son and the Father with you. They don't have different agendas. They have a single will. Genesis 3, let us make man in our image. We forget that. We skip forward to all the worst parts of the Bible. (laughs) But Jesus came to reset everything. It says in times past he spoke this way, but now he has spoken clearly by his son. That doesn't mean we don't honor the law in the Old Testament and learn our lessons from there. But I have some photographs of me and Eileen when we were engaged, but I don't look at them very much because I have Eileen. We're married. You see, the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ, but Christ has come. Yeah. And the Old Testament had many metaphors. All of whom were fulfilled in Christ. You see, for too long, we've had one eye on Moses and one eye on Jesus. It's made us kind of cross-eyed, you know? (laughs) But Moses is not the hero anymore. We honor Moses, and we honor what he did. But uh, in John 1, it says that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So now we're in the age of grace and truth and a revelation of the Father. And Moses and Jacob and Abraham and all the heavenly host looks down on our day and rejoices with us that we have a clarity about God that they did not have in their day, but they longed for, right? So Jesus Christ is clarity about the Father, He revealed the Father. Why? Because in the beginning, John 1, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning in God. All things were made Him. Not anything was made that was not made by Jesus Christ. He is your origin. Salah. Think about that for a minute. Many theories of origin today. Some people believe we were a combination of randomness plus time, and we accidentally happened. That, that theory is fading because we finally have enough computing power to run the calculation. You can have all the randomness you want, you can have all the time you want, nothing intelligent emerges. So we've got, that's in flux right now. Some people think we were made by a lone and solitary God. Sort of a G O D ink, you know, who, um, who did not love as a primary nature. But the Bible tells us, I believe, that we were made by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We were made in their image, plural. Why is that important? Because if God is alone, he knows nothing of love, because it takes two people to love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had love before we ever entered the picture. We don't change the character of God. We don't have that much power. We don't change the mind of God. Yes, we interact. It's just like Jesse and his son stamping the books, you know. he's, he's In his mind, he's like, yeah, I'm stamping the books. But Dad's like, he, Dad put the books there. Dad got the stamp. Dad's teaching him how to do it, right? And that's how, we, that's how our father is with us. You know, we, we, we're participating with him. Of course we are. But sometimes we imagine, you know, <laughs> that we're, we're changing his mind. We're doing all these things. But really, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we're, we're, there's good works prepared in advance for us to do. Right? And we're happiest when we're we're sort of like listening to Holy Spirit, and it's like steps on a dance floor, you know, and we're just kind of like, oh, wow, look. Oh, I was totally exercising my will to do that, but the Holy Spirit was subtly guiding me and leading me in the way I should go. And that's when you feel most fully human and most fully alive or in those moments where you're being who you were made to be, expressing the love of God uniquely on the earth towards someone, right? Not only did everything begin in Jesus, but his relationship preceded creation. It says first he was face to face, then he made everything. So often we think we have to do something to get the relationship. But what does your child do to have a relationship with you? how did the child get in your family? Mom and dad decided to have a baby. There's the child. The child is brought into a family by the will of the parents. Yes, we participate. Yes, we say prayers. Yes, we welcome Jesus into our life and all of that. But even if a child's not relating to the parent, the parents always has a relationship with the child. So God, even when we were Romans 5 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get our act together. He didn't wait for everybody to want to have the cross happen on their behalf. He just went ahead and died. He died once. So when we believe, we're believing into something that Jesus did that's finished. That's why we can believe. Right? And what is he bringing us into when we believe? He's Bringing us into the relationship that he had with his father from before creation. That's what you're being invited into. That's in the Greek pros, face to face. It's the word we use for a husband and wife or a face to face. Or a father and a son. There's nothing between them. Nothing between them at all, you see. So just for a moment, close your eyes and sit in the seat with Jesus in the Trinity you've been grafted into the Trinity and behold the Father's face the same face that the Father has for the Son He has for you and we wouldn't think for a moment that the Father has anything but love for His Son that's the relationship we've been brought into I wish I had more time to develop that but if you want to Meditate on that. Go to John 17 and look at what Jesus is saying about being one. We think being one is singing kumbaya around the fire, you know, and and, um, erasing all the denominational lines. But what he's talking about is being invited into the oneness that he shares with the Father, into union. You see, Jesus didn't come to just slightly reduce distance with God, or slightly improve a delay with God. Distance and delay are the mainstays of religion. Every religion has some distance from with God for some reason, and some delay for why all the good stuff isn't going to happen till later. And every religion has a formula. If you get baptized forward, backward, you get sprinkled, you get dunked, whatever, you know, all these little silly differences, they're got the best formula to get you The distance reduced, but you never really quite reduce all the distance because then nobody would keep, the paying and returning customers would not keep coming, right? So a slightly improved delay and distance is what that's all about. But Jesus didn't come to slightly reduce it. He came to say game over in religion. He came to say there is no distance. He came to be Emmanuel, God with us. He came to say in John 14, 9, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. No more guessing about that. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Lord, help us believe that. Help us understand that the Trinity does not travel separately, that where Jesus goes, Holy Spirit goes with him. Where Jesus goes, the Father goes with him. 2 Corinthians five nineteen. God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the cosmos to himself, not counting men's sins against us, against them, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So we can declare to people, God reconciled you to himself. Now participate in that, in God's reality so that it becomes your reality. Paul said, you are reconciled, past tense, so be reconciled, present tense. Live like it. Right? There's nothing left for him to do. It's done. It's finished. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus did that. So when we believe, we don't believe to make something true to God. We believe to make it true to us. We we eliminate the, the veil. That's between our ears. We see the heavens opened in our minds and in our imagination. Jesus brought us into that relationship. He was one hundred percent God, one hundred percent man. He was the tent of meeting, where God and all of God and all of man met and had an opportunity to be reconciled and have relationship. He's the mercy seat. Look in your neighbor's eyes for a second. This will be very uncomfortable for some of you, but. And you know who you see looking back at you? You see Jesus sitting on the mercy seat. Say, Rod, where do you get that? Remember when Jesus said, "Uh, when you visited those in prison, you visited me. When you fed the poor, you fed me. He's not talking about good works there. He's talking about changing the way you view other people as Jesus cares for that person. When you show love to that person that nobody else loves, you're treating them like Jesus. When you show them hospitality, you're showing hospitality to Jesus. Some of you are going on a missions trip. When you you really feel this when you go on a missions trip and you're in a completely different place and people look different and they, and you realize how much you have and you feel so inadequate, what can I do for a moment why am I even here, you know, you feel so inadequate sometimes a couple years ago we went to a um, we went to a leper colony and uh, there was a lady there why, what are we here for you know, like, what can we say, what can we accomplish in a day and there was this lady she's maybe 60 something and, and we, we just went and gave her a hug You know, like what do you say but you can show love we, we gave them food and we, and we shared a smile they've got plenty of seriousness they've got plenty of serious religious people that come by but what they need is they need some love and they need some food and they need some care Anyway, this lady starts crying, just weeping. And so through the translator, we find out, why is she weeping, you know? And she says she was dropped off there when she was like three years old, and nobody has ever come to visit her in all those years, and no one has ever given her a hug. You don't know what your expression of love might mean to somebody. You don't know what you're listening to that little prompting of the Holy Spirit to pray for somebody who's sick might mean to them. You don't know what believing that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, might mean to someone else, let alone you. We can argue about I can hear some of the objections. There are objections. Jesus said it. We can believe it or not. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay. Jesus not only made everything, but he sustains everything. Colossians 1. It says, we look at it like this and see the Son of we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose and everything created for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank of angels. Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes it and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He was supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he. So roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. All of God was in Jesus. 100% God, 100% man. And not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies. All because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. You're a case study in what he does. Everything is in Jesus, all of creation. You say, well, what about being in Christ? It depends on what you mean by in Christ. If by in Christ you mean where you located, can't be anywhere else. If by in Christ you mean relationship, yes, you can have a relationship with Jesus or you can not have a relationship with Jesus. But where does relationship begin? You begin by seeing how big Jesus is. You begin by seeing that Like David said, if I make my bed in hell, he's there. If I try to hide under a rock, I can't get away from him. He's that big. You don't get that much space, you know? Like, Jesus takes up all the space. He originated all the space. That was Paul's gospel. He started out declaring Jesus as creator, and then he ends up with, In him we live and move and have our being. Now, don't you want to participate in this relationship that this creator has so graciously given you? See, that's the more powerful gospel. So often we want people to have a relationship with Jesus, but we don't want to take the time to describe Jesus to them. You know, we've got a tiny little stick figure, Jesus, that's a useful character in a cartoon track. He's so much more than that. He's the creator of all things. In him, things get put back together they get healed. Anybody here who got put back together in Jesus? Come on. He's good at that. Holy Spirit is a redeeming genius. that can take the messes we make and turn things around for good, right? So Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. I don't have time to read all this, but read John 14, 1 through 20. Jesus says this over and over again. The disciples are saying, show us the Father. He's saying, dude, I've been here three years. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when you saw the Father heal a man on the Sabbath and place the compassion for an individual above the rules and regulations, you saw the Father do that. When you saw Jesus interrupt a funeral in the streets, what Jesus was always interrupting funerals. Have you noticed that? He sort of interrupted a funeral in my life. And Eileen was a big part of that. You know, he redeemed me. He brought me back from a very low place. But Jesus loves to do that, and that means the Father loves to do that. So often we've imagined that Jesus is loving people and the fathers over here and it's our job to get him to turn around and pay attention to us. But Jesus revealed in the like the parable of the prodigal we talked about that's what the father of Jesus looks like. He runs to the sinner. He runs to the prodigal. He doesn't care if you stink. He doesn't care. He just wants to get his arms around you. If you get anywhere near him and you're always near him. (laughs) He wants to get his arms around you, right? When you saw Jesus with the woman at the well who'd had five husbands, who was hiding out in the middle of the day getting her water when it was hot because she didn't want to have to deal with the women giving giving her a hard time, the disciples are shocked, right? They say, what are you doing? You're talking to a woman. Not only a woman, but you're talking to a Samaritan. And he has that beautiful conversation. He knows all things. You know, imagine Jesus who created everyone when he saw someone. Imagine, you know, like there was a lot of Holy Spirit here today, right? A lot of, lot of whack on you guys, really. But imagine how much glory there was on Jesus. Imagine sitting down with Jesus. Whew. See, he had everyone's DNA, their eye color, their smile, their gifting, what was unique about them, what was valuable about them in his mind. So when he made eye contact with someone, it's like, oh, I remember you, right? It's great when you meet someone that you're friends with, you know, because there's that recognition back and forth, right? And how could Jesus as creator not have that sense of recognition of everyone? How could he not make people feel welcome in this presence? Even Zacchaeus, the lowest of the low, right? Wants him to come to his house and have dinner, right? Or Jesus says, I'm coming to your house and have dinner. So the woman at the well, Jesus gently tells her her story, or lets her tell her story. Now, he's got mad prophetic capabilities. You know what I'm saying? Like, totally read her mail and make her feel rotten, but no, what does he do? He lets, she draws it out. And what's the effect of being in the presence of Jesus? She's so excited, she runs back to her village. She's like the first evangelist, I guess, and she's like, come see a man who told me everything I ever did, because he gave her a new source of water and refreshment within her. Not somewhere, she wanted to talk about where you go worship. Jews say worship here. Our people say worship there. She's trying to have a religious conversation with him. He's trying to tell her about her inner world. He's trying to say, look, you worship God in spirit and in truth based upon this well of living water that's already in you that I'm revealing to you right now. You see? That's what Jesus is trying to reveal to you. Not some way to close the distance, but the fact that he already closed the distance. There's a well in you. There's a well in you. (laughs) There's a well in you. And it comes from the throne of God. Ooh. Comes from the throne of God. And it's in you. Anyway, she goes back and she tells everybody, come see it because there's no shame now. In her past, the people she was hiding out from now she's trying to connect with the source of water that she has. You see, Jesus retells your story. He does not deny what is true. But you see, there's what's true, and then there's the name above every name. There is He who is truth Himself, who truly defines your identity. All those things were true of her, but Jesus is truth about her, right? Some of you need to hear that. Don't worry about what was true of your past. Don't worry about honoring that anymore, if that's what it is. Don't worry about looking in the rearview mirror trying to figure things out. There's the truth about you, and the truth is you are innocent in Christ Jesus, Saying you're innocent is the most offensive thing you can say to the spirit of religion. Turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and just look them in the eye and say you're innocent. You're you're innocent. If you feel a check in your heart, just look in the mirror when you get home and keep saying that until it feels good. Because Jesus didn't come for you to replay all the worst parts of your life. He came... So that you would know you're innocent so that you could have intimacy with God. You can't have intimacy with God if you don't know you're innocent. You can't, you can't have intimacy with God if you don't know you're innocent. It, 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 it separates you from God. It doesn't separate God from you, but it separates you from God. Let's take a marriage relationship and let's say that one of the... Uh, people in the marriage is unfaithful whether the other party knows it or not i guarantee you that that will affect the conscience of the person who sinned and it will affect the intimacy in the relationship and this is what confession is really about and this is what it's coming clean is about is is getting that clearing the air coming back to cross face-to-face innocence because it's you can't be intimate without innocence and that's what he was always after. Even with Israel, remember, he wanted to be their people in the midst. And they're like, no, 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 let's put some, send Moses, send somebody, right? Well, Jesus came to end that and to be, to be near you. So when you saw Jesus with the woman at the well, releasing her of her shame, you saw the Father doing that. And part of the reason we get hung up in our healing is we think the Father still holds something against us, even if Jesus has forgiven us. God was in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.19. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the cosmos to himself, not counting men's sins against them, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. The gospel is declaring who Jesus is big enough and declaring the reconciliation of God strong enough that your heart leaps and responds in real faith. For too long, we've been preaching a gospel that demands faith. But the real gospel supplies faith. It supplies the faith of the Son of God in us when we had none. And then his faith becomes our faith, which becomes genuine faith. His faith is the only faith that counts. You're saying, Rod, you say you don't have to have faith? Yes, I'm saying we absolutely have to have faith. The only trouble is we're no good at it. That's part of what Jesus' ministry was, was to show us what a life of faith was. You see, all the Father's cards, all the Son's cards, all the Holy Spirit's cards are on the table in the body of Jesus upon the tree. If you doubt how Jesus feels about you or the Father feels about you or the Holy Spirit, behold that. They gave everything. When we understand that, we respond That's the real response. So often we mix in fear and doubt and all kinds of other things. But you see, what if a man proposed to a woman and said, Look, I see you're getting a little older. And uh, you probably don't have a lot of options. And you've really made a mess of your life. So uh, I tell you what. If you come with me right now. I'll love you. If you, I'll love you. You see what I'm saying? So often that's the way we present it. But Jesus came and demonstrated his love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were at our worst, Jesus gave us all of him. No reservation. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Read John 17 if you want to work that out theologically a little bit, or in John 14, 1 through 20. But Jesus came to give us his relationship with the Father. The really <clears throat> example of this that really probably blew the minds of the disciples was thinking about the tax collector's house. If Jesus was hanging out with the sinners, the Father was with him right? If Jesus is telling the truth, right? If you have trouble with that, read Psalm 22, which Jesus is quoting from the cross, right? Then there's the woman caught in adultery. This is the ultimate. The the Pharisees think they've really got Jesus trapped now, right? Because if he aligns with them, then he's on their side. If he stones her, if he lets her go, then he's, it's blatant uh, agreeing with sin and not following the law, right? <clears throat> but Jesus always has a third way. Religion will always condemn you. The law will always condemn you. The law is a tutor that brought us to Christ, but Christ is here, right? But Jesus has another way. He dismisses the accusers. And in that moment... She has to deal with the fact, if the accusers are gone, he says, neither do I accuse you, right? So if you saw Jesus do that, you saw the Father do that, right? And some people might say, well, what about the death of Jesus and the payment for sin and all that? That's, the cross is many things. It's a deep mystery, if you need it to be a transaction for your sins to be paid for, it's a payment. If you feel like you're an orphan, you've been adopted. If you feel like an outsider, you've been grafted in. If you feel like it's a legal case, you've been acquitted, says Paul. The question is, what metaphor do you need to know that you're loved by God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? You are been adopted into the family of God. Without reservation, throw up your best complaint. Throw up your best biblical argument. Throw up your your best theological problem and tell God why you're not included in his love. Right? You're in, you're in, you're in. That's when you believe. That's when you believe. When do you fall in love with another person? When you trust that they love you. Right? Right? That's when there's a real relationship is when both parties are willingly participating in love. Jesus came to reveal that. He came to reveal that the Father loves you. And that he, he wants a relationship, right? So we behold Jesus, the one who created everything, the one who sustains everything. We behold what he accomplished, which was revealing the Father, the face of the Father, revealing what it is to be human, to be fully anointed with the Holy Spirit, and to live in love towards other people, to give whatever it takes to go to the mat, to go to the grave and back again, to redeem you, right? And then we behold who we are in him. Who are we in them? We have been grafted into a place where we always belonged and we always mattered. In the Trinity, we have family, fellowship, belonging, and we also have celebrated and empowered individual identity. So God is not absorbing you so that you cease to exist. He's absorbing you. He's not absorbing you, but he's in union, he's, he's brought himself in union with you so that you may understand the, the perichoretic love, that's just a word for mutual indwelling love, and you've been brought into that, but he doesn't want you to go away, he made you for a purpose, he made you to be unique and to have unique value. And most of the things where we get in trouble in life is because we feel like we don't fit in, so we're looking for love in all the wrong places. Or we try to stand out, which explains why teenagers do crazy things that hurt themselves sometimes, right? And adults. But imagine a world where you already completely belong at the top of the spiritual food chain, and you already completely matter to the name above all names. That's where you begin. Paul starts out all of his epistles with this. Remember the gospel you heard. Remember you're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Remember that you're accepted in the beloved, right? That is where you begin. I, for one, wasted so much time trying to feel like I belong somewhere or feel like I was significant, and and I missed who God made me to be. Everybody has a value that's really value. Some of you really need to hear that. When God made you, he didn't make a mistake. He didn't make a mess, no matter what anyone's told you. I just release... Harsh words spoken over people here right now in Jesus' name. There has been things said over people in this room that are not true. Maybe you've been told you're worthless or you want them out to anything or whatever that is. That's a lie. That's the voice of the accuser of the brethren who is called the accuser of the brethren because he accuses the brethren. That's all he's got to say. But the Holy Spirit is your greatest cheerleader. The Holy Spirit testifies of your innocence. Yes, the Holy Spirit will remind you when you do things wrong for the purpose of restoring you immediately to innocence to get you to stop doing destructive behaviors in case you don't think I'm being hard on sin I said I said this the first one don't sin because it's like putting your face in a meat grinder okay it's disfiguring and it hurts but until you own it as your problem we think we're being hard on sin when we talk about God's problem with sin like, But we've reduced, God, we've reduced sin to being an accounting problem, a theological accounting problem for God later, where he sorts you for an in and out outbend. No, th- sin is a huge problem right now. It will hurt you. The reason that you want to stay in your lane of where you were created is because it's death outside of that, and it hurts. Look at all the tribal conflicts in the world. Look at the, the people who need food and water around the world. That's a consequence of sin. We ask God, why do you allow evil on the earth? He asks us, why do you allow evil on the earth? Why don't you own your sin problem and realize that it's been taken care of in Christ Jesus, that you could connect with where you always belonged and where you always mattered, and you could get out of that cycle which makes the sin And you could begin to live in that living water welling up within you so that when you go somewhere, you're a supply. You're not trying to get something from somebody to feel significant. You are significant because the Holy Spirit is in you. You're not trying to fit in with every weird thing just for a temporary fix of connection. You connect at the highest level, the Creator Himself. You always belong. Father, minister that to hearts right now, that they matter and that they belong. And, and replace those harsh words with words of affirmation and love. In Jesus' name. C.S. Lewis says, He caused things to be other than himself, that being distinct, they may learn to love him. And achieve union instead of mere sameness. What does he mean by that? For so long in the church we we talk about less less of me, more of you, God. God didn't make you to disappear. He made you to rise up and be who you were created to be. And so let the Holy Spirit minister that to you now in Jesus' name. See yourself... As a son, not a servant. As a friend, not a slave. As an insider, not an outsider. As, as not alone, but in union with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not as unknown, but known. As accepted in the beloved. If you want to make it a legal case, okay, you're acquitted. If you feel like an orphan, you're adopted. If you feel like you're an outsider, you've been grafted in. Paul says there's now no barbari- male, female, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. Christ is all in all. Does that mean everybody knows that yet? No, they don't know that. And they're not living like it. And that's part of what the body of Christ is called to do, is to go and tell them, hey, man, you are reconciled. Jesus said we could look people in the eye and say your sins are forgiven, man. Jump on in, participate in this love that's been offered to you, right? So we're in Christ is our our identity. I, I, I as I get older, I, I I resonate with, you know, Paul says the same thing over and over in the beginning of all the epistles. I used to skip that when I was a good Bible college student, you know, because I want to get to the admonitions to so the stuff I got to do. The trouble is, I didn't know who I was doing anything for, <laughs> you know, so beholding Jesus is read those introductory passages where he reminds them, hey, remember the gospel that you heard. Remember that you're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Remember you're innocent. Writer of Hebrews, boldly go before the throne of grace, right? Don't sit there and, and you know, Cogitate on past failures and things. Let the Holy Spirit lift your head and and look forward in Christ, right? 1 John 3, 1 in the Phillips, consider the incredible love that the Father has shown us in allowing us to be called children of God and that is not just what we are called but who we are. Our heredity on the Godward side is no mere figure of speech which explains why the world will no more recognize us Then they recognized Christ. Oh, dear children of mine, forgive the affection of an old man. Have you realized it? Here and now, we are God's children. We don't know what we shall become in the future. We only know that if reality were to break through, we should reflect his likeness, for we should see him as he really is. You see, so often we think what we perceive is reality. Who defines reality? God defines reality. You are reconciled, so be reconciled. God invites us into his reality. You don't feel innocent, but he treats you like you're innocent so that you act like you're innocent. The kingdom works different than this world. In the world, we do good behaviors to get a good identity. In the kingdom, you get a good identity, and you naturally produce good behaviors. Right? Some of you need, really need to hear that: <laughs> you've been given the perfect identity in Christ, you've been grafted in. I'll close with this, and then we're going to take communion together. But uh, Robert Capon says, but all the while there was one thing we most needed even from the start, and certainly will need from here on out into the new Jerusalem. The ability to take our freedom seriously, And act on it, to live not in fear of mistakes, but in the knowledge that no mistake can hold a candle to the love that draws us home. My repentance, accordingly, is not so much for my failings, but for the two-bit attitude toward them by which I made them more sovereign than the grace of God. Grace is the imperative to hear the music, not just listen for errors. It makes all infirmities occasions of glory. For years, I was stuck overanalyzing and looking at everything that was wrong and trying to fix everything that was wrong. Do you know that fixing everything that's wrong and being right are two completely different things? Again, parents understand this after a while. You have to let them behold love so that they become love. You can't just fix every little bad behavior because they'll just become as neurotic as you are, you know? <laughs> this is why Jesus comes totally, you know, the Pharisees think he's going to put his arm around him go, good job, guys, love how you refine that mint and dill tithing program, you know? Dial that in a little bit more, and Daddy, Daddy will be proud, you know. But now, what he did was he came whining and dining a friend of sinners, right? Lord, help us be friends of sinners. Doesn't mean we participate in their sin, but help us be where people need you, and see through your eyes the gold that is in them and the glory that's in them. You see, let's don't listen for all the errors. Let's listen to the music of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for revealing the Father to us. Help us to believe that you revealed the Father to us, Jesus. We often say you're perfect theology. So, Lord, when what you are contradicts what we have sometimes been told what the Father is, help us to look back at you until we get clarity on that. (laughs) And help us to represent Father, Son, and Holy Spirit well to those who need to know they belong and they matter in Jesus' name. So, the ministry team, you want to come up and uh, uh, go ahead and be ready to serve communion? Yeah. And, uh, you want me to go ahead and read some things or... Yeah. Hey, Mark, um, come on up. We're going to have Mark on the guitar a little bit. Here he comes. Um, we're going to do communion at the end, just because I th- we thought I want I know Rob's message is one on communing with God. And so we're going to take communion, but take it with this understanding. And he's going to read some great scriptures that's going to create some understanding, too. But basically, just come on up, stand up. There's a communion back there. There's two up front. Come on up. We, I, we love to take communion as, in groups and in, uh, with your friends, with your family that you hear. If you, if you see someone alone, feel free to grab them. But go ahead and come on up, and we'll take communion, and I'll let, uh, I'll let Rob kind of share some stuff as we're doing it. So go ahead and stand up, and we'll get doing that. Okay. We were given two sacraments to remember what Jesus did for us. One is baptism, where we identify with his death his burial, and his resurrection. And then we were given communion the night before he passed away, right after he told Philip and Thomas, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says, in that day you'll realize that I'm in my Father, you're in me, we're in you. And communion celebrates union. Celebrates that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have grafted us into their family, our family of origin. There is a passage that says to examine yourselves. But here's why you examine yourself. You don't examine yourself to dig up things about you that God's already forgotten. You listen to Holy Spirit that affirms your innocence before God. Certainly, if there's changes you need to make, make them. But communion is really about beholding the nearness of God. You're eating his body. You're drinking his blood. You're realizing that Christ is in you. You're his dwelling place. We had a word this morning about We're not just visiting the throne room. We've been seated in the throne room with Christ Jesus. That's a different mindset for some of us. And that's where health is. That's what communion is about. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. You will live better realizing that the Holy Spirit has made you innocent than you will ever by staring at what's wrong with you. There's a full-time position for what's wrong with you. That's called the accuser of the brethren. So Holy Spirit's not about duplicating that effort. The Holy Spirit's about this is what's right with you. Now live like what's right with you, right? Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are sometimes far off have been made near by the blood of Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.16, the cup of blessings which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Second Corinthians 5.19 again, To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the cosmos to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. If you've not willingly received Jesus to participate in the loving relationship he's offering you, what better time than receiving communion, right? Hmm. there's there's a a monk from centuries ago his book is still published he talked about his relationship with the lord he used to people used to come for miles just to wash him, watch him wash dishes because he would get so drunk in the spirit people would be affected by it look him up brother lawrence He says, The king, full of mercy and goodness, very far from chastising me, embraces me with love, makes me eat at his table, serves me with his own hands, gives me the key of his treasures. He converses and delights himself with me incessantly in a thousand and a thousand ways and treats me in all respects as his favorite. It is thus I consider myself from time to time in his holy presence. Lord, minister your holy presence to people right now. Minister your nearness. We invite you to cure what ails us, Jesus. Wherever we're hung up, whether we need physical healing emotionally, whether we need to receive the identity, whether we need to formally say, I love you back, Jesus. I want to live my life with you. Yeah, Jesus.